Hello, this is Barb Avila. I'm the owner of Synergy Autism Center, and welcome to another podcast from Synergy Autism Podcast. And I am trying something out today that I haven't done yet, and I've been thinking about doing it. I know that when I'm listening to podcasts, I love the ones where people are interviewed and talking amongst themselves, but I also really appreciate when the podcast you know, primary person does a little bit of speaking about their approach as well and shares even just in this format, just talking directly to me as the podcast listener. So I thought I would do that with a couple of things that I find extremely important in my work that I want to share with you. So the first one that I'm going to share today, and then another podcast, I'll share the other one is how important regulation is for curiosity to happen, and especially in children with autism. There's a man named Stephen Porges, who if you haven't checked him out, you might really enjoy it. He talks a lot about how if a person has their whole, he calls neuroception, focused on the need for safety, that they can't be in a state of learning or curiosity. And so a lot of what I'm thinking about for people with autism and children in particular, we have to think about helping them be as regulated as possible so that then they can learn and thrive. The coolest thing in my work is that I see so many people who, if I just get the environment right, they learn and grow on their own. We don't have to teach them very specific things and have to be using um, special discrete um, training. I'm going to try and stay out of uh, some politics in the field, but just say that regardless of what you're trying to teach, somebody who is regulated is going to be ready for learning because their curiosity is there. So a person cannot be curious if they are perceiving the world as stressful or overwhelming is my bottom line. And a child who is curious and learning, growing and thriving is active and engaged in exploring the world and trying to figure out how things and people work around them. They'll imitate, they follow you, they experiment, they fail and they recover. They take risks and experience accidents. They gaze to their caregivers to determine safety and confirm their curiosity. They engage with the world. They are intrigued with the unexpected and the unpredictable within their developmental schema. That is a little bit of a side note that we always want to stay, you know, to use a developmental term is we want to stay within their zone of proximal development. Basically what that means is we want to stay in that zone where they are regulated, but still pushing them just a little bit. So when a child is curious, they are pushing that um, envelope themselves. They're trying to figure out where their edge of their own zone is. But when somebody has autism, sometimes we have to push them a little bit because their curiosity is a little more fragile. So ensuring regulation is extremely important. Now, co-regulation leads to regulation in typical development. <clears throat> so in order for a child to be curious, their internal state must be ready for a new learning. A newborn, for example, is not ready for a whole lot of stimulation without getting overwhelmed and dysregulated. However, as the child gets older, their system learns to be slightly stressed and then to re-regulate to accommodate that new information and learning. 
So they're constantly doing that moment by moment throughout their day. This development happens first by borrowing the parent or caregiver's regulation. This is why we sing or we rock or we coo with babies in kind of this back and forth. And we're helping them to learn how to regulate their own systems by this co-regulation. So something has has stressed their little systems <laughs> and we are there to share our regulation and bring them back to homeostasis. Okay, so what if, however, a child is not able to soothe through co-regulation or their system develops in a unique manner that challenges their regulation later in development? So past that typical rocking and singing together phase. And that child may seek out patterns because it's natural for us to seek out patterns for sameness that are soothing or objects that are within our control to gain that regulation. That child may not seek out their caregivers due to maybe that social engagement being too overwhelming. They may retreat to inanimate objects and patterns of sameness for safety, security, and soothing and that homeostasis that their body needs. So <clears throat> now what do we do? Of course, that those what I just described are symptoms of autism. So you're hearing right there that this is my understanding about autism is that it is a lot about co-regulation, very um, basically that that has to be there in order for somebody to learn through co-regulation and then be able to regulate themselves. So as humans, we seek connections with others. We find great pleasure with a new friend when they share common interests and when you find that synchrony between you that happens without much effort. This feeling energizes us and deepens our understanding of ourselves as well as the other person. Many of us engage in activities that recreate that feeling. So think about tennis or golf or board games or dancing. These are all very dynamic in nature, but at the very root, they're co-regulating shared experiences that feel good. So how do we, do, how do we reduce stressors for somebody with autism so that that co-regulation or that social engagement, that social reciprocity, that synchrony can happen for them too, which is going to help them learn about themselves and learn about other people and have that beautiful quality of life of um, being as social as they wish to be. So I am somebody who's going to re really respect being an introvert with autism or an extrovert with autism. And so... Um, Anyway, that's kind of a side note. So how do we reduce stressors for somebody with autism? So first and foremost, for a child or any person of any age on the autism spectrum to regulate and be at their best for them to be optimally curious and learn, they need you to be predictable. They need you to be quiet. They need you to be deliberate and confident. They need you to help keep life manageable so natural learning and growing can occur. This happens by ensuring a routine schedule for daily life. You've probably heard that, especially for bedtime routines, morning routines. It happens by reducing also your clutter in your house, both visually and the words that you use. So there's a little hint to streamline um, what you say to only the essential words. It means allowing processing time for a person with autism to shift their attention from one thing to another or to you. And that's a little hint that um, my next uh, podcast is going to be on my favorite topic, which is CTU, curiosity to you. And so I'll be talking about that later. <clears throat> so um, I'm going to give you here 10 ways to reduce stressors so that curiosity can thrive. 
with somebody with who's probably on the autism spectrum. But you know what? A little hint works for everybody, not just kids with autism. It works with your partner <laughs> with or without autism. It works for um, a classroom. It works for any situation that you are trying to engage with. You know, one, I have a teenager myself and it really works for all of these things for me to use with him. He's typically developing, but he, um, he gets stressed also and has anxiety. We all do, right? So 10 ways to reduce stressors so that curiosity can thrive. So regardless of intervention strategies, what curricul- curriculum you're using or parenting approach you're using, here are my top 10 tools for reducing stressors. So one, first and foremost, and they kind of are in order, <laughs> this one especially. So first and foremost, regulate yourself. Take deep breaths, Count to 10 in that moment. Assess your own stress level. Calm your own system so that you can calm someone else's. It never works to approach someone in a stressed or anxious space. So the second one is I want you to think about partnering with the person with autism or partnering with your child. So offering partnerships for anything and everything from opening a door together to opening a bag of food together to feel more we all feel more successful when we can be helpful and involved with clear expectations so this also provides opportunities for co-regulation a little side note i start every session with my teens and young adults with a game so it'll often be um, a short game 10 minutes 15 minutes just to help us get co-regulated in the moment it it provides a clear structure. It provides that um, co-regulation and it always supports both of us in regulating our systems um, so that we can have a more fruitful conversation or day or of activities, for example. Okay, so that first is regulate yourself first. Two is partner with the person. Three is make it visual. So we're learning a lot about uh, joint attention and audiovisual synchrony um, with uh, people on the autism spectrum. And really, bottom line is any time that you're trying to convey information auditorily, uh, making it also visual is going to support understanding. So people with autism often have auditory processing disorders as well, or challenges. Um, And so just a simple point, body positioning cue, a drawing, a photo, something that makes that uh, verbal direction or verbal comment, whatever it is, making it visual makes a huge difference in bringing somebody's stress level down because then they'll understand what you're trying to say. (laughs) So first, regulate yourself. Two, partner. Three, make it visual. And the fourth one is allow processing time. I love this one. So most people with autism have, like I said just a minute ago, auditory processing needs. And if you think about it, that they have trouble potentially shifting quickly from one task to another or even from one activity to another. And it might even be something in their head. So they're thinking about something and just shifting to then what you're saying takes a minute. Not sometimes a full minute, sometimes a few seconds, but allowing time to process a question or simply your silent presence. So say you walk in the room um, and you're quiet, just allowing them to shift their attention to you can help immensely when redu- to reduce anxiety and stress levels. They're not feeling rushed to try and understand and catch up all the time. You can relate, I'm sure. We all have those moments. So regulate 
part, your regular self, partner, make it visual, allow processing time. Number five is declutter. Simply reducing the amount of visual clutter in your home or classroom can significantly help lower stress levels, yours and your child's. I am a huge fan of uh, Netflix has a um, declutter, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's, um, I should have written it down before this. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but um, uh, yeah. Anyway, I will put it in the show notes because it's a great Netflix show on how to declutter your house and a woman who goes through each room and talks about it. I love it. Anyway, so simply reducing the amount of visual clutter in your home can help. But don't forget about auditory clutter too. We all tend to talk too much. Reduce your words by saying only the essentials. Now, number six, respect sensory support and or breaks. I used to say allow sensory support and breaks. Now I'm, I changed that to say respect it because people with autism and attention deficits often need to move to think. Some need to pace, others need to flap, others need to chew on something, and so on. Respecting that need and planning for it, bringing it into your work or your interactions or your day is going to help significantly because otherwise that person, if they need that for processing, they're going to find it. So that person will find other ways of getting that need met and you may not be as satisfied with that outcome. So plan for it. Respect it. Number seven, provide boundaries. This one I also changed a little bit in the last, I don't know, month or so, because it used to be have high expectations, but I want to be more clear on this one. So providing boundaries, just because your child or your student has autism, or your brother or your sister or your neighbor has autism, doesn't mean that you allow challenging behaviors. So children or people with autism need boundaries, just like every other child, to feel safe and secure. And they are those boundaries can be stress reducing when the guide holds them with high expectations while simplifying the environment and ensuring clarity <clears throat> so <clears throat> excuse me i want to make sure that those two are together so providing boundaries is essential making them clear by using all these other things that we're talking about <clears throat> is absolutely essential okay so we've got regulate yourself, partner, make it visual, allow processing time, declutter, respect sensory, provide boundaries. The next one, number eight, is celebrate strengths. The incredible focus and the detail-oriented mind does come, seem to come with autism. So offer times of the day that Topics of extreme interest are fully allowed and celebrated. Just be sure to allow, also balance these with social and or decision-making opportunities every day. So I don't want, I'm not advocating for this to be all day, every day, because every child needs balance and children need guides to help them understand um, and boundaries of when and where to do things, <clears throat> what other learning is important. Okay, <clears throat> number nine. I'm so sorry about my voice. Number nine is use mindful communication. The communication that you use can make a huge impact on a person's processing and stress level. <clears throat> Aim to engage your child or your student's mind, mind rather than having him or her mindlessly respond to you. So if you say... Um, <clears throat> 
if you're prompting them through everything, their mind could be somewhere else and they could just be uh, compliant. So stating something like it's time to go can elicit more thinking on your child's behalf about what is required to go rather than cueing them verbally through get your shoes, put them on, get your coat, put it on, get your backpack, etc. Engaging someone's mind in his own actions or her own actions keeps them from fixating on the stressful or anxious producing pieces that are going on also. So having them involved in their own actions makes a huge difference in reducing their stress level. Okay, we're on number 10. This is one, I love this one. Turn frustration into fascination. We all make mistakes. We all push people over their edge of competency at times without even realizing it. Take those moments as information about the person's stress level, about your what you were doing, etc. And instead of avoiding that same situation in the future, which I hear a lot of, oh, we just don't do that anymore, it's essential to return to it with new fascination and your own curiosity about how to better support that person through that moment. So as one client shared with me, she said that she experiences these as red flag moments and she reminds herself to return to the flag. So returning with more success, more information brings everyone's confidence levels up. So I am going to list those top 10 and then I'm going to conclude this podcast. So these are the top 10 ways to reduce stressors so that curiosity can thrive. And I have a handout that I'll also include in the show notes as well. And let's see, number one, regulate yourself first. Number two, partner. Number three, make it visual. Number four, allow processing time. Five, declutter. Six, respect sensory support and or breaks. Number seven, provide boundaries. Number eight, celebrate strengths. Number nine, use mindful communication. And 10, turn fascination Ah, turn frustration into fascination. All right. Thank you, everyone. And if you like this way of my doing the podcast, I'd love to hear it. Thanks so much.